You know, God has given us all a voice, and it is a blessing to know that regardless of your color, class, or culture, you can use that voice and lift it up, not only for justice, but most of all, for Jesus. And we're so grateful that we get to bring you this winter guest speaker series where I'm able to invite in friends from the outside to speak into our body even now. Originally, Dr. Timothy Clinton from the American Association for Christian Counselors was going to be here, but uh, late on Thursday night and early on Friday morning, he uh, contacted me to say, I'm so sorry I can't be with Bridgeway, but I've tested positive for COVID. And so we were saddened by that, shocked by it, but we know we talked on the phone, he was doing fine, uh, mild symptoms, he's had it before, he's vaccinated and boosted, praise the Lord. So it's almost just like a cold or whatever, but still thought it would not be wise uh, to travel this weekend. So let's continue to keep uh, Dr. Timothy Clinton and his wife, Julie, who both have it uh, in, in your prayers, okay? But then I went into mode of, okay, Lord, so who's supposed to speak? And God gave me another white man named Tim. That's right, my man, Tim Webster. Can I tell you about him? First of all, Tim Webster's been a friend of mine in Bridgeway for over 25 years. Uh, I still remember the first time he preached at Bridgeway back in the days of the college. And he spoke on Acts chapter 6 and how racial reconciliation really builds uh, a bridge when people are doing what they're supposed to do. I texted him and said, I, I know you're in another church, I know you're busy, but would you come and speak to my people at Bridgeway? He graciously said yes. Let me tell you a little bit about Reverend Tim Webster. He's felt the call to preach since he was five years old, and he's been doing it, you know, for 35 years in the ministry. Three children, Nathan, Rebecca, and Mark but he's an educated man as well. He's got three degrees, one from Washington Bible College and Capitol Seminary, his bachelor's in Bible, his master's in divinity, and Catholic University, his master's in biblical language. And over many years of church ministry, Pastor Tim also helped plant uh, a church in Frederick with some friends that we have there, Frederick Church of the Nations, as well as he currently serves at Fountain Valley Church in Westminster, Maryland. He definitely has a passion for racial reconciliation and racism, but he has a great passion for the word of God, and you're going to hear him teach from God's word now. And so, Tim Webster, I'm going to invite you up uh, to the stage now where you can greet our people who you've not seen in a long time, but one of my greatest joys is introducing friends to friends, and you're definitely one of them. Thank you for saying yes. May the Lord use you today, brother. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Go get them. Amen, amen. So good to be here with you today, and what a privilege for me to come and to share with you. God is good, and I've felt his presence in here today already, and I know uh, those of you who are here have. Today, I want to talk about the subject of the Bible, and I believe it is true. You know, probably uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you already believe that. You're already on that. But you meet with people who don't get that. And I want to give you some fuel today to be able to stand and be able to share with them why you believe the scriptures are true. Once upon a time, there was a church without a pastor, and the last prospect came before the board, and, and uh, they asked him if he knew his Bible. 
And he said, yeah, I absolutely know the scriptures. And they said, well, could you just share with us some of that? And he said, absolutely, sure. Uh, my favorite story is the book of parables, especially the, that of the Good Samaritan. And so he began to recite it for him. He said, a man went down uh, from Jericho uh, to Jerusalem, and he fell among thieves, and the thorns grew up and choked the man, and he didn't have any money. And the queen of Sheba came along, gave him a thousand talents and a hundred changes of raiment. Then he got in a chariot and rode furiously along, and as he rode, his, his hair got caught in the limb of a tree, and he hung there for many days and many nights, and the ravens brought him food to eat and to drink. Finally, Delilah came along, cut off his hair, and he fell on stony ground, and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. So he went and hid himself in a cave, and the dogs came and licked up his sores. He returned to Jerusalem, and he saw an old hen trying to get her chickens under her wings, but some of them would not, so he went a little further and he met a man who asked him to have supper with him. And he said, I can't because I've married a wife. But he felt compelled, so he ate supper, locusts and wild honey. As he was going down the street, he looked up and he saw Jezebel in a window. And when he, she saw her, he laughed and he said, hey, fling her down, boys. And so they flung her down. He said, fling her down again. They flung her down again. They flung her down 70 times 7. And of the fragments that remained, they gathered 12 baskets full. Now in the judgment, whose wife shall she be? Well, the board looked at each other and said, you know, he's young, but he sure does know his Bible. I think we ought to hire him. Well, I think you know that that's not a very accurate story. But I want you to know that I believe the Bible. I believe what it says, not just parts of it, but all of it. I believe there was a giant named Goliath. I believe that there was a Leviathan living in the deep. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that Moses met God at a burning bush, that the Israelites walked through the Red Sea with walls of water on either side, that Jericho fell when the people of God walked around those walls, that Jonah was swallowed by a whale and later brought revival to Nineveh, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he healed the sick, that he raised the dead, that he fed 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes, that he died an excruciating death on a cross, and he rose victorious out of the grave, and he ascended up into heaven, and he's coming back. Take home all who believe in him that someday he's going to sit in judgment to sentence those who do not believe in him and take the rest of us to an eternity in heaven with him. I believe all of that. You say, well, you're a preacher and you have to believe that. Well, I, even when I'm not preaching, when I'm not in the fishbowl of church, I still believe it. Well, you're naive and you're not a thinking man. Listen, I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. I may not, my elevator may not always go up to the top floor, but I believe in the integrity of this book, not some blind, irrational faith. And what I want to share with you today is how you can trust the scriptures, because this book is under attack. I remember a number of years ago, some of my people were very excited about a book, and I thought I should read it and find out what was going on in this book. And the book was written by Dan Brown, The Da Vinci Code. And here's what it said. The Bible is a product of man, my dear, not of God. The Bible did not fall magically from the clouds. Man created it as a historical record of tumultuous times, and it's evolved through countless translations, additions, and revisions. History has never had a definitive version of the book. The scrolls highlight glaring discrepancies, and clearly confirming the modern Bible was compiled and edited by men who possessed a political agenda to promote the divinity of the man Jesus Christ and to use his influence to solidify their own power base. In other words, you can't trust the Bible. Bart Ehrman went to Moody Bible Institute, was really wanted to become a pastor, but then he went to Princeton Seminary and chucked his faith away. Now he's an instigator against what the Scripture says. And he said, The Bible began to appear to me as a very human book, 
Just as human scribes had copied and changed the text of Scripture, so had human authors originally written the text of Scripture. This is a human book from beginning to end. In the introduction to the lost gospel, it says that the gospel of Judas is actually the true story of the Bible. And guess who the hero is? Judas and not Jesus. We are dealing in a time when the Bible is under attack. And I don't want to share with you today is that you can trust this book. It is the very Word of God. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Dr. Luke, the first chapter of Dr. Luke. I want to talk about the first few verses in this book. And let me share with you several things of why you can trust the Scriptures. First of all, the Bible contains multiple accounts all saying the same thing. I'm sure you don't have this in your home, but sometimes uh, I would hear a crash happening in the basement. I would go down there and check, see what was going on. And one of my uh, children would say, you know what? Uh, this child knocked the lamp over and broke it, Daddy. Another one said, no, no, no. They, they were playing with a ball and they threw it and it knocked over. And then the other one would say, would you believe, Dad, that the Holy Spirit came down like the day of Pentecost and the walls began to shake? Would you believe that? Well, you know, that's multiple accounts not saying the same thing. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. How many have written accounts? Luke says, well, many. Dan Brown says as many as 80. We know of 12. And Luke is saying, listen, I'm not telling you that they didn't get it right. I'm not telling you they didn't get the story correct. But what I want to do is add my voice to it. The same thing happened when the Da Vinci Code came out. A number of people, uh, scholars, wrote books against it. Josh McDowell and Daryl Bach and others. Well, Luke says, I want to add my testimony to this. I want you to be able to get this truth here. You have to remember, there's no Lifeway bookstores. There's no Amazon.coms. And so how is his friend Theophilus going to get this book? He's going to write it down for him. And the amazing thing is when you read the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all agree they're saying the same thing. And that's incredible because it's a book that was written over 1,500 years, a time span with 40 different authors from, from Moses, a political leader, to Peter, a fisherman, to Amos, a herdsman, to Joshua, a military general, to Nehemiah, a cupbearer, Solomon, a king, Matthew, a tax collector, Luke is a doctor. It was written in a wilderness by Moses. It was written in a dungeon by Jeremiah. It was written on a hillside and a, uh, and a palace by Daniel. It was written inside prison walls by Paul. It was written on the Isle of Patmos by John. And it was written on missionary journeys by Luke. It was written in three different continents, Asia and Africa and Europe. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. Anybody read a trilingual book lately? Anybody read a book written by 40 different authors? Anybody read a book lately that took 1,500 years to compose? That's what this book is. And yet its testimony is uniform from beginning to end. And add to that the fact that it is dealing with some of the most controversial topics in all the world. And yet there's integrity in the scriptures. That's the first reason why I believe it. The second reason I give you is that the Bible contains indisputable evidence of fulfilled prophecy. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. What makes a story believable if you can predict it before it happens? When I met Dr. Anderson, it was really through basketball, a love of my life. And in basketball, there's a backboard by the rim. If you are shooting a layup, it is perfectly acceptable to bank it off of this backboard. But if you bank it off the backboard from 30 feet away, it is generally accepted that you did that by sheer luck. 
unless, of course, you call bank. If you call bank and it banks in, then it's okay. It's legitimate. But if you don't call bank, you're likely to hear someone say to you, the bank is open. And believe me, they are not complimenting you. Luke says, I want to tell you about some things that happened and I want to tell you a prophecies that went on 400 years to 1,000 years before Jesus was ever even born. Let me give you a few of them. Josh McDowell says there's over 332 distinct prophecies about Jesus. I'll just give you some of them. It was prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, and he did it. It was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin, and he did it. It was said that he would perform miracles, and he did it. That he would cleanse the temple, and he did it. That he would enter Jerusalem on donkey, and he did it. The exact year of his death was foretold, and he did it. That he would be beaten, did it. That he would be bruised, did it. That he would be led like a lamb to the slaughter, did it. That he would die with the wicked, but be buried with the rich, did it. That he would not be guilty, did it. That he would feel forsaken, did it. That he would be ridiculed and taunted, did it. That he would suffer agony, did it. That his bones would be pulled out of joint, uh, did it. That he would suffer thirst, did it. That his hands and his feet would be pierced, did it. That his clothes would be gambled for, did it. That a friend would betray him, did it. That he would be spit upon, did it. That his bones would, would not be broken, didn't do it. That he would rise from the dead, hallelujah, he did it. And that he would ascend to God's right hand, did it. He called bank, bank, bank. 332 times he called bank. And every single time it banked and went in. What are the chances of that? What are the chances of that happening if you think about it? Peter Stoner, author of his book, Science Speaks, wrote that the chances of one man fulfilling eight of these prophecies will be one in 10 to the 17th. That's one with 17 zeros after it. To help us understand that, Stoner says, let's, let's just suppose we take silver dollars and we cover the state of Texas. It would cover them two feet deep. Now we're going to mark one of them with an X and we're going to ask a man blindfolded to go as far as he wants in this land of Texas and to pick out one that has the X on it. What are the chances he can do this on his first try? That's the chances of one man fulfilling eight prophecies. Add to that a ninth one. Marvin Bittiger, one of the top mathematicians in the world who sold over 12 million books on math. You know he's good. One in tenth to the 76th power. What does that mean? Fill the Houston Astrodome with sand to the brim. Ask a man to pick out a particular grain of sand on the first try. And then ask him to do it three more times. That is the chance of a man fulfilling nine prophecies. And Jesus fulfilled over 300. Well, we think about some of the odds of us doing amazing things. And, you know, you can see amazing things that we might be able to do for God and the chance and the odds of us being able to do these things. 48 prophecies, what are the odds of it? Well, it's a number that's incalculable. You can't even think about it. And yet Jesus did 300. What I'm telling you is this book is truth. It's truth. And fulfilled prophecy helps me believe that. Number three, the Bible has been amazingly preserved and handed down to us. Think about it. We have a book here. 3,500 years old parts of it, and there, there was no random house. There were no publishing companies. How in the world did we get from a papyrus or a parchment piece into our hands today? It was amazingly preserved by God. Luke 1, 2. Just as they handed them down to us, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. 
Luke says, I'm not an eyewitness here. Matthew, of course, was. So was John. Both of them were disciples of Jesus. Mark was a missionary, probably relied heavily on Peter's testimony. Luke's a doctor. And he traveled quite a bit with Paul on his missionary journeys. And he had heard these stories told a thousand times. The Jews were masterful at telling and retelling their stories in what we call oral tradition. Their hard drives were right up here in their brains. And they passed data, not from disc to disc, but from mouth to ears. And they were very good at it. Oh, the Bible. It's always the Bible. Well, I don't believe anything that was written in a book by man. Well, that sounds really good until you think about it. Most of us in this room believe that Abraham Lincoln chopped down a cherry tree and George Washington crossed the Delaware. Anybody alive then? Probably not. You read it in a book. My geography book told me that there are seven continents and five oceans on this planet. And guess what? I believed it. I opened up my astronomy book and it revealed nine planets. And then it told me, no, actually Pluto is demoted. He's actually not a planet. And we all mourned over that. Personally, I have never counted the 206 bones in my body, but my anatomy book tells me that that's how many I have. And guess what? I believe it. You understand what I'm telling you? Most of what you believe about everything you got from a book. And what I want to tell you is that this is the most trustworthy book possible. Now, we don't have the original of that. What we have is we're working with a copy. There were not publishing companies back then. So what you want are as many copies of this book as you can find, and copies very close to the original time when they were written. Many copies, close date. What do we have with the Bible? Many copies, close date. In fact, if you look at how the Bible compares with other ancient works that are accepted as fact, we have many more manuscripts. In fact, when you throw the Coptic and the Syriac and the Latin and other languages, we have 24,000 copies of portions of the New Testament books and only a few copies of other ancient books that go without dispute. There are 1,000 times as many existing manuscripts of the New Testament than the average classical author's works, with only 10 or 20 of them. And even if all these were destroyed, we could constitute the New Testament, reconstruct it all together just from New Testament quotations in the writings of the early church fathers. And if you look, there's a very short time gap between the copies when you compare the ancient books that, again, are accepted without any controversy. What you have in your hand today is the very Word of God, and you can trust it. It has stood the test of time. You know, until uh, 80 years ago or so, uh, really, we, the earliest copies we had the Old Testament dated to 900 A.D., and they agreed with each other, but liberals said, you know what, a lot, what has happened in the 1300 years since Malachi was written until uh, these copies that we have? Errors must have gone in there. And then one day, a young man was, uh, was picked up a stone, and he threw it up into a cave, and he heard this crash, and he went up there to see what, what had crashed, and what he found were the Dead Sea Scrolls. A thousand years earlier than any Old Testament manuscript that we had, and when you compare them, you see they agree with each other word for word. In fact, one of the greatest finds was the scroll of Isaiah. And you can find this at the Dead Sea Scrolls in Israel. If you go there, you can go to the dome of the book. It is a bomb shelter, as if people were saying, you can destroy this country if you dare, but we will not let you destroy this copy of the Word of God. Scholars estimate that what we have in our hands today is 99.5% exactly what was written down 2,000 to 3,500 years ago. And the small piece of percent that is not uh, 
that we do not know for sure does not affect any doctrine whatsoever. You can trust the Bible. I believe it. It is God's word. Amen. Number four, the Bible is the testimony of eyewitnesses. You ever have somebody tell you a story and say, you're not going to believe this? And many times, guess what? I don't believe it. It's a sensational story. Were you there? That's what I want to ask him. Did you actually see it take place? Well, no, I wasn't there. But my uncles, cousins, nephews, aunts, co-workers, neighbors, dog was there. Oh, why didn't you just say that up front? Then we would have known it was true. The Bible was written by people who saw it happen. Or in Luke's case, interviewed those who saw it happen. Luke 1, verse 2. Just as they handed them down to us who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. These people saw it. And let me tell you reasons why I believe that there are eyewitnesses of it. When a guy tells me he went golfing and shot 125, I believe it. When he says, I went golfing and shot 72, eh, maybe. When a guy says, I went fishing and didn't catch a thing, truth. When he said, I went fishing and caught a fish the size of this room, I want to say, were there any artifacts from Jonah in there? It makes me wonder. But if you think about the Bible... The Israelites are always groaning. David murdered. Peter denied. The disciples abandoned Jesus. Moses got angry. Jacob deceived. Noah got drunk. Paul persecuted. Solomon worshipped idols. Abraham was a bigamist. Lot committed incest. John the Baptist doubted. So did Abraham, Sarah, Nicodemus, and Thomas. Jonah ran. Samson served himself. John worshipped an angel twice. And the Hebrews, uh, heroes of the resurrection of Jesus are women, the ones who were thought non-important in that society of the day and could not even give witness in court. I mean, if you're going to make up a story, at least make yourself look good in it. If you're going to make up a lie, work overtime to make sure you get the lie straight. But you know, there's enough variation in what they're saying to add weight to it. They did not get together to get the story straight to give forth a lie. They did not. They gave truth. They were not making it up. It is real. And if you're not convinced that it is real, think about the fact that these people gave their life for this story. Peter crucified upside down. Andrew crucified. Matthew stabbed with a sword. James, son of Alphaeus, crucified. Philip crucified. Simon crucified. Thaddeus crucified. James, brother of Jesus, stoned. Thomas, thus through with a spear. Bartholomew crucified. James, son of Zebedee, killed with a sword. In fact, only John died a natural death, but he did it in exile. Did they die for a lie? No. They died for what they knew was true. And it makes me believe their accounts. Number five, the Bible is historically accurate. The Da Vinci Code boldly claims, what I mean is that almost everything our fathers taught us about Christ is false. And yet, where is the evidence that the testimony is false? In fact, at every turn, it's proven to be true. Luke 1, verse 3. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Luke says, I have done my homework. I have done this carefully. I've done it with an investigated eye. I have done it on everything. And in this research right from the beginning of his life. Someone say, well, you would expect Luke to say that. But does history bear it out? And absolutely it does. Over 39 stories outside the Bible itself verify over 100 truths, facts about the life of Christ contained in the Gospels. Here's just one of them. Thallus, a Roman historian, wrote about the darkness of the cross. 
on the whole world that pressed the most fearful darkness and the rocks were rent by an earthquake and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness appears to be without reason an eclipse of the sun. That's just, 39, that's just one of 39 different sources. Phlegon, Josephus, Pliny the Younger, Tacitus, Hadrian, Suetonian, Lucian, Marabarsapian. Facts outside of Scripture that verify the truth of what the Bible was written. In fact, uh, Josh McDowell says, one of the most embarrassing things for critics of the Bible is that they repeatedly over the years have pointed out things that they were historically inaccurate only to have archaeology verify the claims. So for instance, one critic said, the first five books of the Bible could not have been written by Moses. The law codes are too sophisticated for that time period. And then archaeologists found the laws of Hammurabi dated some 300 years before Moses and just as sophisticated. Boom, the Bible is true. Scholars said the Bible's wrong. There is no Hittite people. The Hittites have never walked the earth. And then the Hittite capital was unearthed in 1906. Boom, the Bible is true. Pharaoh Shishak never came to Israel like the Bible says in 1 Kings 14. But then critics read the same truth on the walls of the temple of Amun that archaeologists found in Egypt. There, were no, there was no defeat of Ashdod by Sargon II in Isaiah 20. And then they found Sargon's palace walls in Iraq. And on and on the confirmation goes. Archaeology has been so helpful in sustaining the claims of the Bible. So much so that in 1970, Time Magazine ended their article with this line. Even after the heaviest scientific scholarly guns have come against the Bible, it is better for the attack. It has not been proven to be wrong. It is historically reliable. That's a great testimony. And from Time Magazine, of all things. Number six, the Bible was received by the entire church. How many of you have written a personal letter to someone? How many have had your personal letters read by someone other than the person you wrote it to? How many of you have had your personal letter read by 30 or 40 people? How many of you have had one of your personal letters read by hundreds of millions of people for over 2,000 years? This is a personal letter, and it generates all this interest. Luke's personal letter to Theophilus. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. This guy is some high government official, it appears. But the point is that Luke is writing him a personal letter and that we have that in our hands today. How did that happen? Because God has preserved the word of God for us to have it in our hands. Well, if you believe the Da Vinci Code, he says that Constantine, we can give him the credit for this one. He is the one who turned Jesus into God for us to follow him. And how did he do that? Well, he destroyed the earlier Gospels so that we, the, that truth would not be out and we, people would not be able to understand it. They would not be able to see it. But what we find out is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actually came first and these other Gospels came much later. I'll give you a slide that you can see uh, of, and it's kind of contemporize it and bring it into our time frame. And you can see as you look at that, that no, the earlier Gospels, those are the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these later Gospels were spurious Gospels that did not speak the truth. And then he said, well, the Council of Nicaea, that's what did this. This is what turned Jesus into God. And it was a close vote. 
Actually, the vote was 316 to 2, and the church was saying, we affirm the fact that Jesus is God. Scripture handed down to us, truth handed down to us that we can hold on to. Josh McDowell says the church did not create the canon, did not determine which books would be called Scripture, the inspired Word of God. Instead, the church recognized or discovered which books have been inspired from the inception A book is not the word of God because it is accepted by the people of God. It was accepted by the people of God because this is the word of God. Number seven, the Bible becomes more believable as you read it. I have no time to really uh, develop this like I would want to. You could spend a whole uh, lifetime actually talking about it and developing it. But belief in the Bible ultimately comes not through arguing, not through all this evidence, but just from opening up and reading it for yourself. Luke chapter 1, verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Theophilus, he says, I want you to believe this message. You've already heard about Jesus, and to help you do that, I'm not going to argue why this letter is true. I'm just going to write it down, and you can read it for yourself. Because if you're looking for the truth today, you can find it right in the Word of God. That's why Paul writes these words in Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. I believe this book is the word of God for all the reasons that I have given you today and many more that I do not have time to give you. But let me just close with one more critic in a verse from this book. Voltaire said in the mid-1700s, 100 years from my day, there will be No Bible in the earth except that which is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. And yet that same year that he made that announcement, the British Museum purchased a Greek manuscript of the Bible for $500,000 while his book was selling for eight cents a copy. (laughs) And 50 years later, the Bible was indeed heard of in the world and close to home for Voltaire. The Geneva Bible Society was using Voltaire's house as a printing press to make copies of the Bible. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, all men are like grass and all their glory like the uh, flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This Bible is the word of God. Believe it or not, but for me, I would stake my life upon it. Amen, amen, amen. The Bible is the word of God. I have one question for you. Yes, sir. Did you call bank before you preached that? (laughs) Because, man, you did it. You knocked the ball out of the park. You taught us why the word. I've never really heard anybody do Luke 1 through 4 like that. And thank you, Pastor Tim. And this is one of those messages, friends, that you can copy the link and send it to other people who are wondering, can I trust the Bible? I know there's so many passages and messages that you could have given. But this one seems like you've had passion under it. Why so much? Yeah, absolutely. Because I know it's under attack. You know, uh, the Bible is, and the enemy doesn't want us to to be in it because that's what's going to transform our lives. And I believe your theme this year is mature and mighty in Christ. That's not only going to happen by this right here. You got to have the word of God, don't you? Got to have it. Yeah. If we can take two minutes before we turn it over to to our pastor Hartnett. 
Um, when you think about racial reconciliation, when you think about racism, and you think about the word of God, oftentimes it's hard for people to see how reconciliation is in God's word. Can you just take a minute to teach us uh, how do we use the word of God to address the important topic of reconciliation? Oh, huge, huge. Well, scripture says if you go, if you go to, the, the, to worship, you go to communion, you go to be in the house of God, and you know brother's got something against you. you you got to leave that and you go get it right, right? Yeah. For white people, for me, I know what my people did. I know, what, I know the history of that. So i got to go. i got to be the one who goes to, to, to make that right. Mm-hmm. And you know Tom Skinner, yeah. many years ago, yeah. Tom Skinner grabbed a hold of me, and he told me the story of, in Africa of two tribes that were fighting for many years. And so long, they've been fighting for so long, they had forgotten why they were fighting. And then one tribal leader decided to go to the other tribal leader and say, you know what, I'm sorry for what my people did. He didn't do it himself. His children didn't do it. It was too many generations ago. But he asked for forgiveness, and the healing happened. So that? that's like, that's on me. Yeah. I got to initiate that. That's straight out of Scripture. That's, that's the Word of God. That is the Word of God, and I really appreciate you sharing that. Tom Skinner's widow, as you know, Dr. Barbara Williams Skinner is a part of our church as well. And so just the history of what God has done through so many people, and this being Black History Month, it's really uh, beautiful for you to even name uh, someone like Tom Skinner. Well, once again, uh, yeah. Pastor yeah. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for sharing the Word of God. This is something that not only touches us today, but we can use in the future. And I would just say, if you're appreciative of Pastor Tim Webster, make sure you put it in the chat uh, to let him know that. And God bless you, friends. Thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe while you're there. If you'd like to download sermon notes, just click the link in the description. If you'd like to take part in our 30th anniversary challenge, go to bridgeway.cc 30. That's bridgeway.cc T-H-I-R-T-Y. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.